Good morning. My name is Pema, and I'll be your conference operator today. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to the PNC Financial Services Group Earnings Conference Call. All lines have been placed on mute to prevent any background noise. After the speaker's remarks, there will be a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question during this time, simply press the number 1 followed by the number 4 on your telephone keypad. If you would like to withdraw your question, please press the 1 and then the number 3 on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this call is being recorded. I will now turn the call over to the Director of Investor Relations, Mr. Brian Kill. Sir, please go ahead. Uh, well, thank you, Panama, and uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, welcome to today's conference call for the PNC Financial Services Group. Uh, participating on this call are PNC's Chairman, President, and CEO, Bill Demchek, and Rob Riley, Executive Vice President and CFO. Today's presentation contains forward-looking information, cautionary statements about this information, as well as reconciliations of non-GAAP measures are included in today's earnings release materials, as well as our SEC filings and other investor materials. These materials are all available on our corporate website, pnc.com, under Investor Relations. These statements speak only as of July 14, 2021, and PNC undertakes no obligation to update them. Now, I'd like to turn the call over to Bill. Thanks, Brian. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, as you've seen, we uh, accomplished a lot in the second quarter, uh, and most important was the closing of the acquisition of BBVA USA uh, on June 1st. Obviously, this created a fair amount of noise in our reported results, adding one month of BBVA USA operating results and the impact of uh, purchase accounting adjustments as well as merger-related impacts. Um, Rob's going to take you through all of that in a couple of minutes, but putting those things aside, we had a pretty good quarter driven by solid uh, net interest income, strong fee growth, continued improvements in credit quality, uh, and announcement uh, of higher capital returns. Uh, while loans increased primarily due to the acquisition, we did have spot loan growth in both consumer and C&I in the legacy uh, PNC balance sheet. Um, we've seen loan utilization rates stabilize within our corporate and institutional banking business. However, um, they remain uh, near historic lows. And while new loan approvals have rebounded, uh, actually to the highest level uh, in a couple of years, that's been offset by continued paydowns. Within the, legacy, uh, within the PNC Legacy Consumer Book, we saw loans grow in the quarter, which was encouraging, um, and we're confident that strong economic growth is ultimately going to drive strong loan growth, uh, but it remains an open debate as to the timing of that loan growth relative to, uh, to the second half of 21 and into 22. During the quarter, we continued to deploy excess liquidity through $10 billion of net security purchases. Going forward and considering the significant recent rally in treasuries, we'll be disciplined as we look to reduce our elevated cash position. Um, you saw that our recent CCAR results underscore the strength of our balance sheet and our commitment to returning capital to our shareholders. Following the results, we announced a 9% increase in our quarterly common stock dividend and a $2.9 billion share repurchase program. Importantly, we're well positioned with substantial capital and liquidity to continue to support our customers and invest in our businesses. <clears throat> Regarding BBVA, uh, I couldn't be more pleased with where we are. Uh, PNC and BBVA employees have hit the ground running and are making great progress in preparing for successful conversion and integration. 
The deal significantly expands our footprint, gives us access to 29 of the top 30 MSAs across the country with a coast-to-coast -coast franchise, and it provides us with an opportunity for growth for years to come. All of our original deal metrics are the same or better uh, than we estimated, and Rob's going to take you through those. And finally, the underlying growth opportunities in the new markets are outstanding. Across this footprint, employees are making joint calls, and we are seeing deal pipelines build, especially as we present our enhanced capabilities and scale to the new markets. We continue to believe the revenue synergy opportunity is significant as we look to drive BBVA's US, BBVA USA's non-interest income contribution to total to total revenue closer to legacy PNC's mid 40% level. On the integration front, we're leveraging our past investments in technology and automation to expedite the process, drive synergies, and reduce complexity. We're moving the data for more than 600 BBVA USA applications to PNC applications, taking a lift and shift approach that allows us to simplify the customer conversion. <clears throat> I also want to mention that our continued rollout of low cash mode uh, which was available to 2.5 million virtual wallet customers as of the end of June. Um, we're, we're planning to roll it out to the remaining 1.1 million virtual wallet customers by the end of this month and look forward to making it available to BBVA customers upon conversion later this year. Since announcing the product in April, we've delivered over 10 million low cash mode alerts and has seen strong engagement with the experience as it helps to address a major frustration for many of our customers uh, across the industry. Over time, we expect it to drive significant growth in new and existing customer relationships as we execute our national expansion strategy. Finally, I'd like to close by thanking our legacy PNC and the new BBVA USA employees for all of their hard work that allowed us, allowed us to close this deal early and prepare, and prepare for conversion and long-term success. And with that, I'll turn it over to Rob for a closer look at our results, and then we'll take your questions. Uh, thanks, Bill, and good morning, everyone. Uh, as Bill just mentioned and notable during the second quarter, we successfully completed our acquisition of BBVA USA, significantly expanding our footprint, which now includes growth markets throughout the Sunbelt region. Our balance sheet is on slide four and is presented on a spot basis. While we typically cover our average balance sheet, uh, we'll focus this quarter on spot balances due to the timing of the June 1 closing of the acquisition. Overall, link quarter balance sheet growth was driven by the acquisition, of course, which contributed $60 billion in loans, $18 billion of investment securities, and $82 billion of deposits at quarter end. Excluding those additions during the quarter, legacy PNC loan balances declined $3 billion, investment securities increased $10 billion, and deposits declined by $4 billion. And I'll cover the drivers in more detail over the next few slides. We ended the quarter with a tangible book value of $93.83 per share, and an estimated CET1 ratio of 10%, substantially above the levels we anticipated at the time of the deal announcement. As a result, we're well positioned with significant capital flexibility, and as Bill just mentioned, we recently announced a 10 cent increase to our quarterly cash dividend on common stock, raising the dividend to $1.25 per share. Additionally, we reinstated our share repurchase programs of up to $2.9 billion for the four quarter period beginning in the third quarter of 2021. Slide five shows our period end loans and deposits, accounting for the acquisition and highlighting the relative contributions. Total loans were $295 billion at quarter end. And with the acquisition, our loan mix remains consistent at approximately two thirds commercial and one third consumer. Total deposits were $453 billion at June 30th 
and our rate paid on interest-bearing deposits is now five basis points, a one basis point decline linked quarter. Taking a closer look at loans, commercial loan balances of $200 billion increased $35 billion, BBVA contributed $39 billion, and spot PNC legacy growth of approximately $1 billion was offset by a $4.5 billion decline in PPP loans. Consumer loans were up $23 billion, represented by $22 billion of acquired loans, as well as growth in legacy PNC consumer loans, primarily in the residential real estate portfolio. The yield on loan balances was stable at 3.38% compared to the first quarter and reflected the combined loan portfolio. Slide six details the change in our spot securities and Federal Reserve balances over the past year. Securities balances were $127 billion at the end of the second quarter, a $28 billion increase linked quarter due to the addition of $18 billion of securities from the acquisition and $10 billion in net purchases. Our Fed cash balances decreased $14 billion linked quarter, reflecting continued deployment into securities and the payment of $11.5 billion for the acquisition. Despite the linked quarter decline, our liquidity position remains in excess of our LCR requirements. As you can see on slide seven, our second quarter income statement includes the impact of the acquisition. Our reported EPS was $2.43, which included an initial provision for BBVA USA of a billion dollars and integration costs of $111 million. Adjusted for these items, EPS was $4.50 in the second quarter. Second quarter revenue was $4.7 billion, up $447 million compared with the first quarter, reflecting the acquisition as well as strong organic fee growth. Expenses increased $476 million, or 18%, linked quarter, including $181 million of significant items related to integration expenses and litigation reserves, as well as one month of BBVA operating expenses and higher legacy PNC business activity. The provision of $302 million included a provision recapture of $704 million related to improved credit quality and macroeconomic factors, as well as balance reduction, which was more than offset by a billion dollars initial provision in connection with the acquisition. As a result, total net income was $1.1 billion in the second quarter. Now let's discuss the key drivers of this performance in more detail. Turning to slide eight. These charts illustrate a diversified business mix with non-interest income representing 45% of total revenue in the second quarter. Net interest income of $2.6 billion was up $233 million, or 10%, and net interest margin of 2.29% was up two basis points, both of which reflect the impact of the acquisition. Second quarter fee income of $1.6 billion increased $229 million, or 16% link quarter. Within that, legacy PNC fees grew by $167 million, and BBVA USA's one month of operations contributed $62 million. Taking a more detailed look at the performance in each of our fee categories, asset management revenue increased $13 million, or 6%, as a result of higher average equity markets. Consumer services fees grew $73 million, or 19%, primarily due to increased transaction volume and higher merchant services revenue. Corporate services increased $133 million, or 24%, driven by higher M&A advisory activity and treasury management product revenue. Service charges on deposits grew $12 million, or 10%, due to the addition of BBVA USA. Other non-interest income of $468 million declined $15 million linked quarter and included a negative visa derivative adjustment 
lower securities gains, as well as higher private equity revenue. In total, non-interest income of $2.1 billion increased $214 million, or 11%, compared to the first quarter, driven primarily by legacy P&C fee growth, as well as $80 million of non-interest income from the acquisition. Turning to slide nine, our second quarter expenses were up by $476 million, or 18% link quarter, and included $181 million of significant items related to integration expenses and the addition to legal reserves. The remainder of the increase was driven by BBVA's one-month operating expenses of $179 million, as well as increased business activity and marketing for legacy PNC. Obviously, with the acquisition, our operating expenses are going to be higher going forward. Nevertheless, we remain disciplined around our expense management. And as we previously stated, we have a goal to reduce PNC standalone expenses by $300 million in 2021 through our continuous improvement program, and we're on track to achieve our full-year target. Additionally, we're confident we'll realize the full $900 million in net expense savings of BBVA USA's expense base in 2022. Our credit metrics are presented on slide 10 and reflect the impact of the acquisition. Apart from the addition of the acquired loans, credit performance improved considerably within the legacy PNC portfolio. Non-performing loans were $2.8 billion at June 30th, and $871 million were related to the acquired loans. PNC's legacy non-performing loans declined $230 million due to decreases in both commercial and consumer. Total delinquencies were $1.3 billion at June 30th, of which the acquisition impact was $291 million. Legacy PNC's delinquencies declined $147 million. Net charge-offs for Legacy PNC were $58 million, the lowest level since 2007, with an annualized charge-off to total loans ratio of 10 basis points. Acquired loan net charge-offs were $248 million, which was largely the result of required purchase accounting treatment for the acquisition. Slide 11 shows the change in our allowance for credit losses during the second quarter. Within our legacy portfolio, we, re we released reserves by approximately $700 million related to both improved credit quality and macroeconomic factors. Upon closing the acquisition, we established a $2.2 billion ACL for the acquired loans, or 3.5%, through fair value loan marks of $1.2 billion related to purchase credit deteriorated loans, and an initial provision of $1 billion related to non-PCD loans. The initial BBVA USA ACL to total loans of 3.5% was subsequently reduced to 3.1% at the end of the quarter as a result of portfolio changes. So in total, as a result, our total quarter year-end reserves for the combined entity were $6.4 billion, representing 2.16% of consolidated loans outstanding. Turning to slide 12, now that we've closed the BBVA USA acquisition, I wanted to provide an update to some of the deal metrics, all of which are the same or have improved since our deal announcement. As you know, the purchase price was an all-cash fixed price and was approximately $11.5 billion at closing. And as I've already mentioned, tangible book value per share and the CET1 ratio are favorable relative to our original expectations. We continue to project an internal rate of return in excess of 19%, earnings per share accretion of more than 20%, and an annualized expense reduction of $900 million in 2022. Additionally, our expectations for non-recurring merger and integration costs is approximately $980 million, the majority of which we expect to be recognized in 2021, consistent with our initial expectations. 
Taking a look at the credit metrics, these have all improved since we've announced the deal. And as a result, the ACL to total loans for BBVA USA is better than our original expectations. In addition, and as, and as anticipated, our net purchase accounting adjustment is nominal, with a net fair value premium of $322 million, the majority of which will be amortized over the next several years. For the second quarter, due to the maturity of some short-dated acquired assets, we realize a $30 million benefit to net interest income, which will not recur. In summary, PNC reported a strong second quarter, highlighted by the successful acquisition of BBVA USA. We expect this transaction to add significant value to our shareholders as we begin to realize the potential of the combined franchise. In regard to our view of the overall economy, our current expectations are for GDP to surpass pre-recession levels sometime during the third quarter, and for the Fed funds rate to remain near zero throughout 2021. Looking at the third quarter of 2021, which will now include a full quarter impact of BBVA USA's operations, compared to the second quarter of 2021, we expect total spot loan balances to be up modestly, which includes a $3.5 billion decline in PPP loans. On a percentage basis, we expect NII to be up in the mid-teens, we expect fee income to be up in the mid-single digits. We expect total non-interest expense, excluding integration expenses, to be up in the high single digits. We expect other non-interest income to be between $325 and $375 million, excluding net securities gains and visa activity. And we expect third quarter net charge-offs to be between $150 million and $200 million. For annual guidance, taking into account our first half operating results, and the addition of six more months of BBVA USA forecasted operating results, plus our expectation for modest loan growth in the second half of the year, we expect revenues to be up between 12 to 14 percent, and expenses, excluding integration costs, to be up between 13 and 15 percent for the full year 2021, compared with PNC standalone 2020. We acknowledge some upside exists in spot loan growth during the second half of the year, but that remains to be seen, and as a result, is not included in our guidance. And with that, Bill and I are ready to take your questions. Thank you. At this time, if you would like to ask a question, please press the number 1 followed by the number 4 on your telephone keypad. Please hold while we compile the Q&A roster. Your first question comes from the line of Betsy Grasek with Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Hi, good morning. <clears throat> hey, good morning, Betsy. Um, so it's great to see the loan growth start to pick up here. You know, the first question I have is just on how we should think about the loan growth in your book now that BBVA has come in. Is there going to be a you know, churn period here where you've got some loans in that book that, you know, you're likely to be exiting and then, you know, growing through that churn? Or um, would you suggest that that's not really big enough to matter uh, when we're thinking about the loan growth? You know, at, at the margin, it's going to matter, but it's it's extended over a bunch of years. We're not you know, we're not going to sell portfolios or, or, or you know, rapid exits. So, you know, through time, we will mature things, and those balances will likely run off from certain industries, you know, as we grow balances from, from other target industries. But that stretches over, you know, two, three, four years. Okay, great. All right. And then 
separately, you know, your Harris-Williams business obviously is already national, but does the BBVA footprint that you've added now do anything for them in their business with middle market? At the margin, right, it, it, it just adds a larger network of potential clients and conversations. So, you know, yes. Now, they, they obviously are in, um, uh, you know, all of these markets to some extent already, but, but now we have more clients um, and we'll therefore have more dialogue. So I would expect it will help. Yeah, effectively okay. up for sure. So we'll, we'll be able to introduce our new commercial clients through BBVA USA to Harris-Williams if they haven't already been introduced. Right. Yeah, no, that was a really strong uh, result from them this quarter. And then just lastly, the dividend hike that you recently announced, um, how, do you, how do you think about that from the perspective of payout ratio? And I'm just wondering, you know, should we expect that your, you know, full run rate of the BBVA USA uh, expenses coming out uh, is already in, you know, how, in, in your earnings outlook when you were thinking about setting that dividend up? Um, I, I'm trying to think of a simple way to answer this. So, uh, long story short, there's room on the dividend on our forward income. Um, we were in a bit of a fire drill because, you know, we, we managed to close the deal a month sooner than we thought, which meant that we kind of had CCAR results and the deal closed, which then threw us into the fire drill to figure out what we could do. Um, you know, and I'm not going to say in a hurry, but... Um, on, on, on short notice, um, which is what we did. And, An acceleration. And acceleration of kind of what we thought. So so there's room on that, um, you know, certainly as we go forward. And we just thought it was important to get something done and not miss this cycle, uh, which is which is what we acted on. Okay, that's and perfect. That makes sense. We've, we've, I'm sorry, we've said for years that we expect, you know, uh, with this model and this business mix, that a 40 to 50% payout ratio on the dividend is, you know, our target range. Okay, great. All right, yeah, no, that was my gut feel that there was room there, so I appreciate that, uh, yeah. that commentary. Thanks so much. Sure. And thank you for your question. Up next, we have a question from the line of Bill Karasha with Wolf Research. Please proceed with your question. Thank you. Good morning, Bill and Rob. Hey, good morning. You guys, you guys have made uh, impressive progress in your national expansion strategy. As you look ahead... How integral is the acquisition of additional branches to your furthering your national expansion on paper? It's easy to do a traditional analysis where you look at PNC's revenues per branch and BBVA, BBVA's revenues per branch to isolate the opportunity to improve productivity and what that would mean in terms of incremental revenues per branch. But when you try to sell the idea of acquiring additional branches to generalists, there's a natural pushback on you know, why those branch acquisitions are necessary in the first place, given what we're seeing with the digitization of the business. RBC is a great example where we saw your branch count rise sharply in 2012 before falling significantly for the better part of the next decade. Uh, so how important you know, was it to acquire those branches to begin with? I know there's a lot there, but was hoping you could speak to that point in general. I, I wouldn't focus so much on branches as I would on clients. Um, so, in the future, could you see us um, you know, do smaller deals in market to gain greater share? Now, possibly. Now, the values today just seem way too high to me, but possibly. But the purpose of that wouldn't be to get branches per se. Instead, it would be to, to, to get clients, and then we would optimize the branch network, as we did with RBC. 
um, after the fact. And some natural conversion to solution centers from yeah. traditional branches, uh, which we, as to your point, Bill, we've been doing. Yeah. Right. Uh, understood. Um, with um, separately with the curve having flattened a bit since your comments last quarter, has there been any change to your thought process around deploying a larger percentage of your liquidity into, into securities? And within that, how worried are you about um, you know, giving up some of your future asset sensitivity in exchange for the the near term NII benefit? We're hearing different philosophies from from different banks, but would just love to get your thoughts. Um, well, I guess you know, first off, as you saw. Um, we went at it pretty aggressively before we saw the, 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 the big rally here. Um, we still have a lot of liquidity. We barely put a dent in our liquidity even, you know, after writing the, the check for PBVA, so we're still very asset sensitive. Having said that, you know, the recent rally is going to cause us to slow down uh, and be more tactical than we had, we had been during the last quarter, and we'll, we'll watch how this plays out. I, I, I personally believe that the, the, the current rally is way overdone and I don't fully understand it. Um, uh, and, you know, we're, we're likely to, or not likely, we will slow down relative to what we saw in the last quarter. And our expectations of that uh, are built into our guidance. Yeah. Got it. And if I could squeeze in one last one, um, I wanted to ask if you could look ahead a bit longer term at the opportunity to drive efficiency improvements. If the forward curve is right and we get one hike around, the end of 2022 and another in the middle of 23 and assume no further steepening. Uh, you know, there, there are a lot of moving parts there, but c could you just speak to your confidence level and being able to drive your efficiency ratio into that sort of you know, high 50% range? The, the math takes you there. Um, the question is simply a function of, you know, when we look out to 22, a uh, function of the tailing integration costs as to whether you see it, you know, what period of time you actually see it. But the math takes you there once we get the costs out of the EBVA franchise and, and what we would expect that revenue environment to look like. Great. Thank you for taking my questions. Sure. Thank you. And up next, we have a question from the line of Mike Mayo with Wells Fargo Securities. Please go ahead, sir. Uh, hi. Good um, morning, Mike. So, um, you know, I guess I have a short-term question and a long-term question. The long-term question is, you know, what inning are you in in your tech transformation? You spent seven years at getting your common infrastructure together, and that prepares you well for the BBVA integration. So that's kind of the, the good news and, you know, what inning are you in? But then the, I think the bad news is you're guiding this year for slightly negative operating leverage, the, the last slide. Um, and I know you don't like having that. And, um, you know, why is that worse than expected when you should be having some synergies from BBVA? Thanks. Do you want me to do the short-term one? <laughs> the... Uh, no, I'm glad you asked that question, Mike, because at first read, you, you might conclude that, but that's not what we're saying. Uh, what we're saying in the guidance for full year with revenue percentages going up less than expense percentages, that's simply the overlay of the BBVA USA acquisition six months into our results. Uh, they, are, they have a higher efficiency ratio, so that's, if you think about it, that's uh, largely the opportunity there. Um, you know, PNC standalone. Uh, you know, we said at the beginning of the year it was going to be stable. Uh, we were going to fight for uh, positive operating leverage halfway through. Revenues up, uh, low single digits. Expenses are up, low single digits. So we're still fighting. Uh, and you know, as I mentioned in my comments, uh, 
uh, prior to the Q&A, uh, we're going to keep fighting. And Bill, I don't know if you want to do that uh, long term. Do, do, do you follow that, Mike? I mean, it's, it's simple. We layered on a, a less efficient organization on top of us, and it's causing the math to be what it is. That's the right. legacy PNC business is kind of on target for what we said. And then the opportunity set is to drive, you know, the new organization down to, you know, to PNC our level, level of efficiency. Right. Yeah. Or better. Okay. Um, the, uh, the, and then the, the longer term question. Yeah, the, the issue on technology, I mean, think about, um, you know, look, we're 80% of the way along where we would like to be in terms of what I would just call a modern platform, um, uh, you know, for, across everything from data centers to the way we develop to the way we do automated testing and deploy and so on and so forth. So we're pretty far along. I think what happens down the road with technology is much more about client-facing uh, technology and the ability to compete effectively in the new ecosystem of fintechs and where payments are going and all of that stuff. Um, and we're prepared for that. We're going to invest hard into that. Um, we have the core technology behind us to allow us to play in that space, but that's where the fight's going to be. Um, and I think that game's just getting started. And well, yeah, to, that, to, uh, to, thanks. Sorry, to extend the metaphor. You know, the game's going into extra innings. Technology is going to be around for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and where do you think, I mean, you're, I appreciate a number like 80% and building a modern platform, but again, after, you know, seven or eight years of doing that, where do you think the the average bank is in that transformation? Because you've been talking about this more than others. Yeah, I look. I don't. I don't have an informed view. It's it's hard to figure out what other people are actually doing. If I just think about our ideal state compared to where we are, um, you know, PNC's ideal state might be different than some what somebody else aspires to. You know, I I still see us with, um, you know, certain applications that that need to be re-engineered to to kind of be plug and play through API. Um, other people may or may not care about that. So, you know, we're we're playing our own game. Um, our our goal, obviously, is to 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 be able to use technology as an advantage, not just in terms of cost, but also in terms of speed of market and creativity as to what we can offer to clients. And we're well on our way. All right. Yeah. Okay. Thanks a lot. Thank you for your question. And now we have a question from the line of John Pancari with Evercore ISI. Please go ahead, sir. Morning. Hey, John. Hey, John. Well, I want to see if you can um, give a little more color on loan demand, uh, particularly on the commercial side. Are, are you starting to see any signs of CapEx activity beginning to influence uh, line drawdowns? And uh, if, if you are, where in what areas are you seeing some strength and, and what borrower segments. Thanks. Yeah. Hey, uh, hey, John, it's Rob. I, you know, I can give you a little bit of uh, color there. The, um, you know, generally speaking, utilization rates uh, were up a little bit uh, quarter over quarter, though not much. Um, where we are seeing continued growth that we started to see as green shoots in the first quarter is in our business credit uh, asset base book. Um, real growth there that uh, is encouraging because that tends to be a, a leading indicator of, of, of loan demand. Uh, so that's that's largely where we've seen the growth, um, but on the margin, you know, we would expect to see in terms of getting to where 
strong loan growth would be coming more utilization uh, across the, the general middle market book, uh, which is yet to show up. I mean, the, the, the good news inside all of that is we're actually winning a lot of clients and we're extending facilities uh, at a pace beyond that, you know, where we've been for a bunch of years. Uh, the problem is they're just not drawing under Credit that. facilities, yeah. that's right. So, yeah. so we're, we're, we're in a good place for, for, you know, when loan demand comes back and we continue to grow client share. And we see that, by the way, in the fee growth um, that we're getting through TM and, and, and other activities picked up. Right. Yeah. Okay, so great. We've, made no, thanks, we've, we've definitely advanced in the first quarter. Yeah. Right. Got it. Okay, and then on the M&A front, I know you're still digesting the, the VBVA deal and everything, but um, as you look at other markets, are there any other markets geographically that you think uh, a deal would make sense to give you a more critical mass, just like you looked at the southeast that way? Um, I just want to see if you could talk a little bit about, you know, your, your footprint and how you think about that. And then separately, Bill, I'm curious what your take is on President Biden's executive order uh, particularly implying more scrutiny around bank mergers. Does that change how you think about deals? Thanks. Um, well, the, yes to the second. You know, on the first issue, you should just assume that, you know, we look at all the same stuff that you do. I'm not going to give you an area of the country. We look, and you've seen us through time, you know, make decisions based on value, um, you know, value creation for shareholders. So that you know, may or may not mean additional geographies. It may or may not mean filling in an existing geography. Um, it will very likely mean we'll continue to do small add-on acquisitions that give us product, you know, uh, capability for clients. You know, the executive order on, on looking at competition amongst banks, I mean, it's a practical matter that, that the, what would actually have to change for the bank approval process to change um, would be more about the Fed's um, rules on uh, approving mergers than I think it would be, um, you know, coming out of out of Bi President Biden's order. Um, I'm not expert on it, um, but you know, I think it is safe to say that a larger deal in today's environment would get much more political scrutiny and noise. Um, than we did with the BBBA deal. And, you know, we, that, that weighs on us. Got it. All right, thanks. It's help. That helps. And thank you for your question. We now have a question from the line of Scott Seifers with Piper Sandler. Please go ahead, sir. Morning, guys. Thanks for taking the question. Um, hey, maybe... Uh, Rob, I can, can sort of back into things based on uh, the guidance, but just would be curious to hear uh, your thoughts on how the um, net interest margin rate moves from here. Uh, just lot, you know, lots of moving parts between shifting some of the yeah. cash and securities, layering in a full quarter BBVA, and then we've got the fair value premium amortization as well. So any any thoughts there would be appreciated. Yeah, no, that, that's a lot there, Scott. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, we back in the first quarter we had said we called a drop in them. Uh, we're still holding that. I, I do think NIM will drift higher, uh, not necessarily by a lot, but I think we've seen the bottom. Okay, perfect. And then uh, just on, on the reserves, I think um, sort of pre-adjustments uh, that were made for COVID but post-seasonal um, adoption, I think you guys were around a 145-ish. Um, 
reserve. Is that is that a good number to assume you'll you'll gear down toward even with BBVA now in the mix? Well, our well our day one was 154, not not 145. And that was PMC okay, standalone. Sorry. Yeah. Yep. And then uh, you know if you do some of the math, you blend in BBVA's day one, we're going to be a little bit higher on that on average. So you know as we've said, that the answer to that question all along has been if if you consider those times normal, back to normal would be somewhere in that neighborhood. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. All right. Sure. Good. Well, I appreciate the thought. Thank you. And as a reminder, if you wish to register for a question, please press the number 1 followed by the number 4. We now have a question from the line of Gerard Cassidy with RBC. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you. Good morning, Bill. Good morning, Rob. Hey, Gerard. Bill, can you share with us, when you think back to the National City deal and the RBC deals that you guys did over 10 years ago, and granted they're different than the BBVA deal, but obviously that experience has given you confidence on this deal. Can you share with us, when do you think the BBVA gets fully integrated based upon the experiences that you guys have with those prior two deals? Is it three years out, four years out? How long does it really become seamless where you can't tell, you know, everything is running very smoothly? Um, there's a lot embedded in that question. I mean, the, the, the basic service structure, so what happens in a branch, the applications, um, the product delivery, all of that stuff um, basically will be done by the end of this year, right? So, so the real question then becomes how do we get the client penetration and growth rates in the newer markets, you know, the fee penetration to, to grow to, you know, legacy, you know, ENC markets and what we found in RBC is is in some of those newer markets that that took you know you know somewhere around three years I guess Rob we expect it'll be faster um, today first because uh, BBVA actually had a reasonable book of business that we could cross sell into immediately um, and secondly we just kind of have a better playbook we've been at it for a while um, so we have the teams built today they're calling today. Um, you know, and I, I generally would expect we'd... Yeah, I, I think it'd be a little faster, and I think that the receptivity to the PNC brand uh, is probably a little uh, more than it was yeah. years ago, so that, that helps, too. Very good. And then I apologize if you addressed this already in your comments, but Bill and Robert, do you guys have any timing on the share repurchase program? I think you said it's going to be over four quarters, but I know there's no restrictions now like the old C-card test. Right, you guys right. had limits on how much you could buy. Are you given any thought on how you want to calibrate the, the repurchases? Uh, well, we're going to do it opportunistically, Gerard, so we will do it. Um, you know, ideally, uh, we'll, we'll put together like we always have uh, – some, um, some autopilot program, and then on top of that, some discretionary piece. And the discretionary piece will be the, you know, the, the variable, obviously. Um, that's what we've done in the past. That's what we'll continue to do. So, uh, you know, there's some more flexibility there, obviously, and, you know, we'll take advantage of that. Very good. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. And our next question comes from the line of Terry McEvoy from Stevens. Please proceed with your question. 
Hi, thanks. Good morning. Um, just two, two questions here. I wonder if you could discuss the strength in consumer services fees last quarter. It was up, uh, what, $442 million just on a standalone basis. And I know in the release it said increased business activity. was wondering if you could provide any more color there. Yeah. Uh, hey, Terry, this is Rob. Um, yeah, we did. Uh, you know, we saw a lot of activity there, uh, and, and most of that is just more consumer activity, as, it, as you'd expect as the economy comes back on track. Inside of that, where we saw particular strength was debit card spend. Um, uh, it, it, debit card spend uh, is, uh, is a big component of it, and the acceleration there was really strong. With, and just uh, you know, just some more, maybe more color than you want, but... Uh, you know, what showed up this quarter, they said in debit card spends, what our team was telling us was a lot of micro-purchases that had gone away, so cups of coffee and morning purchases on the, on the way to work, um, you know, are now part of the, uh, part of the volume again. Perfect. Uh, and then as a follow-up, just the corporate service fees, maybe you could talk about the pipelines there. And is the quarterly run rate now, is, is that a $600-plus million in revenue quarterly run rate today? Well, I would say just in terms of the color. So you've got to take a look at it now, obviously, in combined form and put in a full, um, you know, three months of BBVA. But uh, corporate, you know, corporate fees also, as we said earlier, are showing uh, increased activity. We were a little elevated in the second quarter because of Harris-Williams, which did twice the volume of, uh, of uh, you know, the first quarter. So you've got to take that into account. But, but your math's in the right run rate place. Great. Thank you, Rob. Sure. Thank you. And we now have a follow-up question from the line of Bill Karkash with Wolf Research. Please proceed. Thanks for the follow-up. I just had a quick quick one on um, the money transfer business and the opportunity that you see there. Some investors have expressed concerns over disintermediation risk in that business as the cost of transferring money continues to fall and competitors in the space leverage technology to help consumers transfer money more cheaply. Is disintermediation risk in legacy BBVA's money transfer business a concern for you guys? And, and if you could discuss how you're thinking about the, the growth outlook uh, for that business and you know, opportunities that you guys may have to maybe leverage technology and, and just speak, speak to that opportunity in general, that would be helpful. Well, I think the whole product, including the business transfer service is a disintermediated product. I mean, it was what, what we have is the same thing that other people are building and frankly doing in more scale. Um, the key to success on it uh, is to make sure that you have, you know, distribution receiving end networks, which we do have through um, Latin America and Europe, and and that you have compliance to be able to build it. So it's a competitive space. I'm glad we have the product. I think the actual product is going to be table stakes for banks. Um, you know, our ability to grow it and scale it, um, you know, we're going through different use cases that um, bring on potential corporate disbursements and other things that we hadn't thought of before. But I, I think it becomes a table stakes products that started through disintermediation, kind of to your original question, right? This was built outside of the banking system. BBVA just happened to have built one um, that we're now integrating into our core platform. So, so we're pretty excited by it, um, you know, and, and, and I think time will tell how that product evolves and who uses it. And in terms Very of helpful. Thank business, you. The, the financial impact isn't large, so it's, yeah, more, it's, it's more the upside yeah. than anything. Understood. Thank you. Thank you. 
There are no further questions. All right, well, okay. very good. <laughs> Thanks, everybody, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see you at the end of the third quarter. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect. <laughs>